0: Good morning, Um, I'm Alan, uh, as Andy was just, (laughs) (laughs) love this, my name begins with A, Um, I uh, lead a small group here with my lovely wife uh, here at Hope Church, been here for many, many a year, Um, I also, as Andy was saying, do a bit of uh, teaching from the Bible, running a doctrine course, and I lift heavy things now and then as well, just, who, who am I, who is this chap up the front? Uh, Yes, thank you. I have a son um, who is uh, 183 days old today, which is exactly half of a leap year. So isn't that nice? (laughs) So there you go. If you want something like that, here's a better one. Yesterday, Sarah and I had been married 1,820 days, and Des was 182 days old. 10%. (laughs) Half of you are going, weirdo. (laughs) Right. um, And the other half are going, hmm, calculator. Right. Uh, I'd like to thank publicly Partik Small Group, those uh, wonderful people who on Thursday, we the passage we're going to look at uh, this morning uh, was, uh, we discussed it as a Bible study on Thursday. A lot of the stuff in here is the product of their wonderful brains. Um, so you know who you are if you are the, um, if you, yeah, if you, were, you know who you are if you were there. Thank you. You were there. Uh, and uh, yes, so, right, I think we need to pray. Uh, So, yeah, thank you, Father, that you love us, that you are a God of love. Thank you that we can approach you as your children. Thank you that there is always enough. Lord, I pray for us today as I speak and as people listen, I pray the Holy Spirit that you would rush upon each one of us, Lord. If we are just having a meeting and sharing information, then we might as well go home because we can read a book. Lord, I pray that this would be an encounter with a living God. I pray for other churches around Glasgow that are preaching the gospel this morning that you would mightily empower them beyond what they have experienced before. I also pray for my sister who's speaking this morning uh, down in Newcastle. Bless us, bless your children, Lord, all over the country, all over the world, as we meet together with you today. Amen. Had a, this doesn't happen very often, but had a, um, something of a, it's, I say a picture, but it's a picture that somebody's already made and I'm remembering, so I'm not quite sure what category you put that in. Anyone seen Lord of the Rings? Okay. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, there are different races of people. There's men and dwarves and elves and hobbits and goblins and these things. And uh, in the fir- I think it's the first film, The Fellowship of the Ring, the, uh, the fellowship go to uh, Rivendell, uh, where, where the elves all live. And as they're leaving Rivendell, it's not Rivendell, it's the other one, where they meet Galadriel. Lothlorien, yes, they go to Lothlorien. Thank you. <laughs> you were talking over up and over, there. Um, yes, they, they go to Lothlorien. It doesn't, doesn't matter, really. But they go to Lothlorien, and they're all given a gift in order to continue with their quest. And um, the hobbits, are, who are sort of carrying the ring to Mordor, they're given la- um, lambus bread, which is triangles of bread that if you eat just a tiny little bit of it, it'll fill the stomach of a grown man. And the hobbits say, well, I had four. <laughs> um, but... Jesus uh, talks about the Bible, uh, the Word of God, as being our daily bread. And something I wanted to uh, pray and sort of just say publicly before I get going is that um, for us here, but also for us who are here today, who won't be here next week for uh, various reasons, either moving to climbs new or visiting or returning or whatever, to take with you a Lambus bread bit of Hope Church. Um, to fill your fill your spiritual stomachs for long onto your quest, if I can put it that way. So, like, to, that's what I'm going for today. Um, can we have um, uh, the slides, please, Gloria? Uh, sorry, David. David. Ooh, yes. Um, if you if you have a Bible, turn with me, if you would, to First Peter chapter two. Uh, verses 1 through 12. I, um, about two weeks ago, I put on the Hope Church Facebook page, I'm preaching a couple of weeks, what should I preach about? And I've ignored all of the responses. Um, <laughs> apart from the last one from John Sharp, which was, what's God been talking to you about? I thought, yeah, that's the way to go with it. And God spoke to me about rocks. That was it. That's all I got, rocks. Let's talk about rocks. So we're going to talk about uh, rocks, if we could have the, the Bible. First Peter 2, 1 to 12. It says, So put away, but it's talking about the previous chapter. In light of your salvation, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him... But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One more. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Can we have slide one again, please? Yeah. Okay, so... Here we have the Apostle Peter, uh, head of the disciples, head honcho, love him. Uh, My name is Alan Peter Harrison. Alan in Gaelic means rock, Peter in Greek means rock. So my name is Rock Rock Harrison, which, so, (laughs) Uh, um, so I I identify with Peter in that he, um, because of his name, but I like him as a, um, he's very good to sort of look out in the Bible and say, yeah, I probably would have done that. I probably would have gotten it horrendously wrong if I'd been presented with this information without having time to process it through. But he's talking in this letter to two different groups of people. First group of people is people who are God's family, people who are Christians, who are in Christ, who believe in Jesus. But he's also talking to people who, are, who aren't. He writes, this letter is written to uh, half a dozen churches in an area. And as with uh, many churches across the Across the nation, across the world, people are part of churches who aren't necessarily, who wouldn't necessarily say, I am a Christian, but they like what they see, they have friends, or whatever. Um, and one of the mistakes that's grown up uh, in Christianity, like a weed, I'm a gardener and I hate weeds, um, something that's grown up in Christianity over the years is that those who have read and taught the Bible, p- perhaps with the best of intentions, but haven't been um, overly wise in making a distinction between which part is being re- uh, written. Uh, who has been written to in each passage. So, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian, if you're a non-Christian, uh, that is, you don't call Jesus the Lord of your life, then this bit isn't talking to you. Okay? Um, put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Th- these are all bad things. These aren't things that you'd like to see on um, if you were going on match.com. I'd like someone who is uh, malicious and uh, slanderous and hypocritical. You, these aren't admirable qualities to have. Okay? Um, <laughs> However, this isn't a list of stuff to give up in order to get into good relationship with God. The whole of chapter 1 is talking about the wonders of being of salvation, the wonders of being known to God, of being um, his child, of being in his kingdom, of being in his family. Um, So this isn't a list of stuff, right, put that away and then you're in. No, this is stuff to do in light of your relationship with God. Because of chapter 1, because you're saved, don't do this, just leave it, put it down. Um, putting this stuff off would be preferable, I, th- I think, for ev- everyone, because nobody likes these things, nobody, like, especially if you're on the receiving end of them. P- sometimes, I, uh, I'm a teacher, I teach RE, and um, I love kids. They tell the truth. They're, they're not ashamed or afraid of telling the truth. They say it like it is. Um, and so if you say a que- ask a question like, um, is it right to lie? Um, sometimes. Uh, well, what if it's just a white lie you know, to, to spare someone's feelings? Yes, but what if you were lied to? Oh, Oh, I don't like that. So, if you are on the receipt of malice or hypocrisy or envy, you don't you don't like it. Um, there's an episode of Friends. Any, familiar with Friends? Yeah. Um, it's ten years ago now that it eight years ago now that it finished. But uh, goodness me, I'm old. Um, there's an episode of Friends. I think series nine when they're getting um, <laughs> when they're sort of running out of ideas, um, like trailing off towards the end where. Um, Joey, who is good friends with Chandler uh, Joey gives Chandler a tape and says have a watch of that and recommend it to your boss so that he can, he can get a job and uh, Chandler um, just, he doesn't want to do it but he tells Joey that he does and uh, Joey is um, upset uh, that, he's, he's, that Chandler hasn't been, been honest with him and uh, Chandler says, I hate being called a liar and uh, Rachel who happens to be standing by says, but you are a liar, you lied so, well, what did I just say? I hate being called it. Like, he, he thought what he was doing was right in this course of action. I think they're essentially just lazy. I couldn't be bothered to watch it, or whatever. But he doesn't like being called it because there's an identity with that. With If you are envious, or uh, malicious, or uh, hypocritical, that, nobody likes being called that. Um, but rather, this bit is talking to people who are already saved, who are already Christians. So... Um, so stop doing them. This is basically what you're saying. Because you're a Christian, don't do these things. Don't use malice, which is being intentionally evil or troublesome. The, the Greek word means trouble. I love that troublesome. Sort of, I'll just let down one of your tires and not tell you. <laughs> um, but, which could also be intentionally evil. Unless you're engineering an evangelical um, encounter <laughs> um, by, by way of confuse.com. Um, so yeah, but no, don't do that. Peter's saying don't do that. Um, deceitful, being untruthful. Or hypocrisy, being two-faced. Yes, I really like you. I'd love to be your friend. Oh, what an idiot. Goodness me. Um, and, you know, if you heard the second part of that conversation, you'd be really hurt. It, nobody, nobody likes that. Um, envy, being jealous of somebody, wanting what they have or wishing that they didn't have it. So, like, it's, um, it, it's fine to sort of say, that's a real nice guitar. I'd like a guitar like that. I go to the shop and buy a guitar. Look at my lovely guitar. But it's not fine to say, that's a nice guitar. I wish you didn't have that guitar, because I don't have that guitar. Because that creates, ba- um, creates division, which we don't want. Uh, slander, speaking falsely of someone. Um, in court, uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, if you... Uh, one of the reasons why one of the Ten Commandments is to don't give false testimony is because if you had... Um, you could be convicted of a crime on the basis of two witnesses. There's no forensics or video evidence, so two witnesses. And if you had two people giving false testimony, you could be wrongfully convicted of a crime, which is why it makes it into the top 10 um, laws that God gives. So none of these things has a place in God's people. Peter is saying here, look, you're saved, you're in, don't do these things. Put them away. And it's, it's like put away, not as in a sort of get them out on a rainy day when it's, too, when, when it's not very nice to go out and play. It's get rid of, dispose of. Um, don't have as part of your character. Um, so, yeah. Then the next bit. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Not diluted milk. Not mil- Have you ever tried mi- mixing, if you didn't have enough milk for your cereal? And you've you mixed water in with it, and it's horrible. <laughs> it's like you've left out in the rain overnight. It's really horrible. Skimmed milk. Skim milk. Yes, Andy, uh, I'm aware that you like the blue top full fat cream in your coffee. Um, yes, pure spiritual, not diluted milk, not polluted milk, not milk that you've left out in the rain, for example. Um, My son, Desmond, is a wonderful wee boy, and he's growing up fast. Uh, And he he needs milk to grow. Um, Until about a month ago, he couldn't handle anything other than milk. But now he's on sweet potato and uh, chicken and wonderful things. They all look the same when you're feeding them to him. Um, But It's just variations of color, sort of like off orange. There you go, wonderful. And he loves it. He's like his dad. I've never seen a kid eat so much, honestly. But if at three months I'd fed him steak... He wouldn't have been nourished by it. In fact, he probably would have been really badly harmed by it. Um, however, I enjoy steak. I have spent many years training my stomach and growing my stomach in order to be able to appreciate the best steaks. Because it, and I could feed the same... I could cut one steak in half, give half to Des and half to me, and he would be made ill, and I would be made full, made um, satisfied. Um, but in the same way, to grow in our walk with God, craving pure spiritual milk... We take the pure milk, not the milk that's gone off a bit, not the milk that um, was fine uh, for um, when you were a uh, before you believed, or the milk that's kind of been cut with um, fabric softener or something. It's it's mostly milk, but there's a bit of not nice stuff in there as well. Um, So this could be seeking out good teaching, or good fellowship, or uh, other believers, or um, good leadership, or good heavenly experiences. This is. Pure spiritual milk, like it, it's pure, and it's it's not actual milk. You know, like you get in first school. Like and now, we're going to have our milk time, boys and girls, and then a small nap. It's not it's like Peter's using a lot of metaphors here, but when he's talking about pure spiritual milk, he's talking about the, the milk is the metaphor. So the pure spiritual stuff. Okay, and different uh, different people will sort of need greater quantities of X milk or Y milk. Uh, Some people have excellent teaching, but um, need more—I don't know—fellowship milk or excellent heavenly experiences. Need um, more—I don't know—teaching milk or or whatever. Um, So that's um, what Peter is talking to here. Crave the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. I give—I say I give—I don't give Des milk. You won't take a bottle from me. Yeah, he did for a while, and then he went off it. (laughs) Oh. He's fine. Um, but you give a baby milk so that he grows, so that he grows up. Um, if you just gave him water or even just gave him steak from a young age, he's not going to grow. He's going to stay tiny and muley and wiggly, as opposed... Because babies have... Nick, you might be able to correct me here. It's something like 50 more bones when they're born than a, a grown adult does because they, they haven't fused yet. Have I made that up, or is that right? Yeah, that's approximately that. So it's like you've got to wait for a while for your baby to sit. Like, sit. LAUGHTER Just sit it in the sun um, for a while. Or, you know, like, just open the oven a bit. um, But, but, yeah, not too close to the oven. In front of the kiln, maybe. Um, But you have a... Let's turn that around. We grow in our relationship with God by taking this spiritual milk. It's just craving, long, rather, for the pure spiritual milk. Not just sort of take, oh, I suppose I'll have it. This is a good thing to go after. Um, There's that milk, Cravendale. Think of that. Think of this passage. Every time you see those cows ganging up on the on the dairy farmers, Um, and growing in your faith is not just learning more stuff about God. It's not just pumping your head full of more information because God is three persons. We're doing the Trinity in the Doctrine course, so I'm not going to say any more than that. Download the tapes. The tapes. Download the MP3s. Um, God is personal. Okay. I've been with Sarah almost three thousand days. It's true. Um, when we started going out, uh, it, was, uh, it was wonderful. But I didn't know what her favorite flower was. Or I didn't know what uh, her favorite city was. And I didn't know how she liked her cereal in the morning or whatever. You get to know people as you go along. Now, if I just asked her parents and family and close friends to write down all this information and learned it, that doesn't do much to the relationship. Aha, I can... Um, I can trump you on knowledge about yourself. No. You, it's, a, it's growing in relationships. So I get to know her more. She gets to know me more. And after eight years, you'd hope that that would be the case. It's the same in our walk with God. You walk with a person and not a concept. Because teaching is good. I'm teaching right now. I'm teaching on Tuesday. I'm preparing. And I'm a teacher. It's one of the things I do. I spend most of my life teaching. It's good, but it's a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. So... You can download the best podcasts, you can read the best books, but if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, it's all trivia, it's all information, okay? Use the information to get to the person. And this is not optional. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It was great, uh, West Steve? Well done on leading worship today. Yeah. <laughs> I say that for two reasons. First, it's true, and secondly, because... As the different songs that went along, you were hitting on different things that I've prepared to speak on. Um, so tasting and seeing that the Lord is good—like uh, I think it was Andy who said that—and then um, this bit talks about cornerstones, which was in uh, in Christ alone. And there's different things, and I, I love that when everything sort of works together; it's beautiful. Um, so this isn't optional. If you have seen that the Lord is good, craves pure spiritual milk, um, and all Christians have done this. All Christians have seen that the Lord is good. You've tasted and seen that. You've experienced something that's made you want to go, yes, I follow this man. I follow this God. I follow this crucified Lord. And you start on a walk. Um, and this is an instruction from Peter. Jesus' best mate. If you read the Gospels, he's one of the first ones called. It's his best mate. He's the one that he gives charge of the church to before the, before the ascension you've got to really trust a guy. Um, best mate, closest disciple, and the Lord is good. And I did a sermon maybe a year and a half ago about the, the goodness of God, so I'm not going to, again, download the tape. Um, but God is good. God is better than other stuff. God is better than steak. God is, God is better than um, an Olympic gold medal. God is better than fill in the blank here. What would be really cool for you? God is better than I'm not going to do it. You can do it yourself. Um, but he's better than th- things that are good. By comparison, things that are good, a gold Olympic medal. What a wonderful thing to have to be able to say to your grandchildren, look, I was the fastest person in the world in 2012. Probably wouldn't be anymore, but that would be a wonderful thing to say. But in comparison with the goodness of God, it's, it's brief. It's passing. It's fleeting. Um, it can be quite hollow. The, the hollowness of fame, perhaps. Um, or... Maybe, the, maybe he's talking about um, being, using malice or deceit, make, making a uh, clever mark at somebody else's expense. God is better than this stuff. God is better than that stuff at the top. Um, and so, because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, put it away. Never to be seen again. Drop it into the, the, as far as the east is from the west. Gone. Next slide, please. As you come to him, a living stone, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I have two questions in this sermon. This is the first one. What are you building your life on? What is the bedrock of your life upon which all other things stand or fall? Um, there's a, in the Bible, there's a word uh, which is idolatry. And again, I've talked about this. I'm just re- referencing myself throughout. Um, but idolatry is building your life on something other than Jesus Christ and other than the hope that he's built for you. Um, now, Jesus is the foundation of... Um, notice it says you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house. Not so, like, and of course, if you're, talking, if you're using a house as a metaphor, you don't start with a roof. Th- that's silly. That's crazy. Why would you start with a roof? Because what... Unless you've got some sort of levitating roof, there's a dragon's den idea. Um, It's not going to be a good pitch. Jesus is the foundation of our life and faith. He's not the roof. There isn't a roof. There's no ceiling on how good God can be to you. Um, Jesus didn't come to limit who you are, which is such a lie. People, if I become a Christian, if I follow Jesus, I'll have to stop doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but X, Y, and Z is terrible. It's bad things. Like I won't be able to have any fun. God invented fun. It, it didn't come to limit who you are. Jesus came in order to enable you to the, be the best you that you can be. Um, and this is obviously in Living Stone, Spiritual House, Holy priesthood. He's talking about the temple. A, um, a lot of the recipients of this letter would have been Jewish believers who had converted to following Jesus, um, who, when he realized when they realized he was a Messiah. It's um, talking about the temple. It has a foundation. And the foundation is the strongest, biggest, most reliable stone. Um, Neil's not here, so I, I can't make, uh, ask him technical questions. Um, but if the foundation has a crack, you know, like I, I was doing my home insurance yesterday, and um, Has your, to the, to the best of, I love that, to the best of your knowledge, I've lived there a year, How do I, I don't know what happened two years ago, to the best of your knowledge, has your house ever had a crack in the foundations? To the best of my knowledge, no. But I've never dug under the house to have a look. So, but if the foundation is in jeopardy, the whole, sorry, if the foundation has a crack, the whole structure is in jeopardy. It's not, going to be... You can maybe build a wall, but you're getting more and more um, sort of Leading Tower of Pisa-esque as you you build. Um, What is your life built on? What is the one thing that if you lost it, it would utterly destroy you? And idolatry isn't bad things usually. It can be, but it is often good things my wife, my son, my career, my uh, uh, nationality—whatever. Good things that have become God things. They have taken the place of God in my life, and I build my identity on. I am a, I'm a, I'm a dad, and so everything revolves around Des. And he's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he—he's. Um, uh, I'm not saying that he's a, a bad person or a bad. Um, it's not bad to have children, but if I were to build everything around my son then one day he's going to leave home. He's going to grow up, go to university, get married, move to a different place. I did. Um, I grew up in Whitley Bay, which is near Newcastle. That's 150 miles away. That's very far away. So if I build my life on my son or my wife or my career, and these things are finite. These things, will, they will come at an end to a point where I, that building will collapse. Um, but because Jesus is the foundation, we... Can build on him, and we build upon him rather than up to him. Okay, you can't build up to God. You can't. They tried it in Genesis thirteen, uh, Genesis eleven. I beg your pardon. They tried it in Genesis eleven with the Tower of Babel, and there's even the conversation recorded, which is brilliant. Come, let us build a tower so that we can look at God. We need some theology here, guys. Okay, how big is this tower going to be? And I'm pretty sure it was a pretty impressive tower, but you cannot build up to God. Um. And notice this, you yourselves like living stones. It's a metaphor. Okay? I'm not a stone any more than Jesus is a stone. I am a bloke. Jesus is a bloke. Uh, it, it's a metaphor. But, and of course, because we are being built into a spiritual house, it's not some sort of human Tetris thing going on where I link with this person and they link with the next person. It, it's, it's, talking about, it's talking about spiritual things using material examples. Um, but we are being built into something. What are we being built into? Well... What do you build with stones? House, wall, structure. Um, look at it this way. Everyone builds their lives on something. Uh, that something could be very good or very bad. But whatever it is, that, per- that becomes that person's identity. Um, it could be, I want to go to university and get the, the best degree. Or I want to do this. I want to excellently in my hires, Or I want to live in that part of the world or whatever. Um, and it becomes their identity. So they say things like, I am a blank. They might say I'm a blank but it's, so in, actually I'm a, as I mentioned I'm a teacher uh, even though I just said it there I am a, a teacher and when I started my teacher training they, uh, the head honcho of, the, um, of Glasgow Uni's teacher training college, he said to me this isn't just a he was like that, talked like that, this isn't just a job, this is an identity and I thought, no <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. Um, and because like, for, and for a lot of people, being a teacher, great thing, but for a lot of people, it is who they are. They, they define themselves in relation to this career. And it, it, it's not wrong to have a career. It's not wrong to be a teacher and not, none of these things, but it is the thing. It's the, the right angle against which all the other stones of your life are laid. Um, and Jesus told a parable about this, which there's a... Um, a wonderful kid's song, which I'm not going to sing. Um, don't. I- I'll sing the first line, and Gav can sing the second line. <laughs> you backed out from that really quickly. <laughs> don't build your house on the sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore, yes? Because it might look kind of nice, but you'll have to build it twice. You'll have to build your house once more. <laughs> yes, thank you minimal audience participation and make the man sing. Um, so Jesus told a story about two guys, one of whom said, well, both of them said, I want a house. Oh, brilliant. Where have you been living up until then? But I want a house. I'm, the first guy goes, here's a lovely rock. I'm going to build my house here on this wonderful little rock here. And he builds his house and it's all very nice and he decorates it and he paints it and it's wonderful, lovely. Would you like to come in for a cup of tea? No, I have to build my house, he says to the other man. Where are you going to build your house? I'm going to build it with a sea view. I'm gonna build it right on the sand. Now, I grew up by the beach. And if you stand for long enough without shoes on at the edge of the water, what happens to the, uh, your feet? They disappear. they disappear. They sink into the sand. It's not sinking sand. I didn't grow up um, you know, next to a quagmire or something. It's a very nice beach. But the, the, the water comes in and takes the sand away. And it comes in and takes the sand away. And I'm sure that would have been annoying for the guy for the first time. You can build nice things out of sand. Sand castles wonderful things. Um, but you wouldn't really want to live in one for very long. <laughs> Partially because it's, you would inhale it. But when things get stormy, have you, inhaled, have you ever, inha- I've eaten sand, not intentionally, but sandy sandwiches, not very nice. You wouldn't want, Yeah, you, know, you put it on the bench, oh no, the bench has collapsed and now my sandwiches are covered in sand. Maybe that's where they get their name from, said Lord Sandwich. Um, but when the storm comes, When, and and in Jesus' story, this is an actual storm, you're you're both with sea views, one is slightly closer to the water, one is uh, slightly further back from the water. When the storm comes and the hard times hit, when you most need protection and security, that's when your house falls down around you and you realize, oh, I may be the best sandcastle builder in the world, but now I'm getting wet. And the thing that you have as your foundation, as your identity, is what... You place all other stones on, stones on to build around, to build from. And what Peter is saying here is that you are being built on something and being built into something. You are a living stone, but if you were just one stone on a big foundation, you look kind of silly. You look like somebody was going to play cricket and got bored as they were setting up the wickets. We're using a brick. It's a very sort of impoverished view of cricket, you know that sort of 1950s fun? Obviously, I wasn't around in the 1950s. But the 1950s fun, we'll throw a rock at a bigger rock, like that kind of fun. It looks silly, but it's, I'm sure it's very fun. <laughs> come back to me, come back to me. <laughs> this means you're be, you are a living stone, you are being built up into a spiritual house. This means that this thing you're building, or to put it in the way, the thing that God has put in your heart for you to do, and that'll be different for everyone needs to be built and nurtured in connection to other people. If you are a stone by yourself and even a small football rolls past, it can knock you over. But put 300 stones, it's not going to knock over that many stones. And perhaps a stone could pick up its friends. Um, There's that bit which is often, I was at a wedding on Friday, was it? When was Tim's wedding? Friday. Um, And there's set passages in the Bible that are often read at weddings, which are Uh, It's very good and very appropriate. And one of them is a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So There's a husband and the wife and God. Okay? But that means that a cord of one strand is more easily broken. So one stone by itself will more easily be knocked down or broken down or taken away than a wall. You could nick a brick. You'd need some serious manpower, time, effort, and stealth to steal a wall, to steal somebody's garden wall. You would need more to do that. So, what God has put in your heart for you to do needs to be nurtured in connection with other people um, who may not have the same building project, okay? But that makes it all the better, all the more beautiful a mosaic, all the more beautiful a, um, a tapestry. And, but we all have the same designer. And there's a, um, there's a quote by, I think it's C.S. Lewis, who said that miracles are small examples of God's work because God's work is too big to see. God, the whole universe is a wonderful miracle. I'm in the universe. I can't see it. So miracles are a smaller example of God's work within the, uh, within the universe so that, that we can see. And this designer is making you and me into a holy priesthood. Now, what does this mean? Priests represent God to the people. In the Old Testament and in different religions, If you're a priest, you have access to God. I go over here and say, yes, what do you want? All right, uh, we'll do that. And I go and tell the people, God says do X. Um, But we are all priests in this. um, Where is it? You, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He's talking to the whole church. He's not saying, you top 5% or you guys with the big hats. You are the holy priesthood. It's everyone. Everyone is a priest. Everyone can represent God to other people. OK, One another, people you work with, your family members, neighbors, whoever, people who know God, people who don't know God. And that which you do is your spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. Now often when it talks about spiritual sacrifice in the New Testament, it's talking about Jesus. But I don't think this is talking about Jesus, because it's offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So what on earth is they talking about? You sort of slaughter a spiritual goat. Where you would find a spiritual goat, I don't know. Maybe goats are more spiritual than other animals. But P- Peter's not talking about an animal sacrifice, um, as in the old temple. He's talking about, it's a temple analogy. Peter is making an, an analogy between the old and new covenants. And um, as Ian Morcroft pointed out to me on Thursday, uh, Hebrews 13 for, verse 15 says to offer a sacrifice of praise. Um, because praise is sacrifice. Praise is saying, it's not about me. And we like it to be about me. That's why we have birthdays. <laughs> you know, I, I, if, if it was your birthday and you didn't receive a present, you'd be quite sad. I'd li- not all the time, but I'd like it to be about me. So what do you do that is sacrificial? It could be you could have chosen not to take that promotion because it would be... For ex- uh, an example, uh, a lady, uh, Eva, who was in our small group. Um, who has now uh, gone back to Germany. She was offered a, a job, a very good job, uh, doing PhD research, but that would involve animal testing. And she didn't do it because she, doesn't, she didn't feel comfortable with that. And she's still looking for a PhD. That would, that would be a sacrifice of something that her conscience said, no, I'm not comfortable with this. That um, has been a sacrifice. It could be um, raising children. Very sacrificial. Nobody told me. Or people did tell me, and I thought, don't be such a downer. Um, you're you're just being glum. No, it's hard. Phil Ford. (laughs) Um, Yeah, raising kids is hard. Or it could be you've chosen to work in this place with these people, because that's where you're most needed for the gospel, as opposed to that place where those people where everyone's fine and they're all saved or they're all easy to work with, whatever. It'll be different for different people. Next slide, please. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ because he fulfills the Old Testament Christ prophecies. Jesus is the Christ because he is chosen and precious. Jesus is the Christ, and therefore, he is the cornerstone. Now, what is a cornerstone? Uh, it is a, in construction, it is the foundation of a building. We've just been talking about foundations. And this means that all other stones are laid in alignment to the cornerstone. So, it, you, you have the foundation, perhaps a, a small platform here, and that's where you start. They take their angles, they take their heights, they take their direction from the cornerstone. Um, so if your cornerstone is crooked, perhaps lopsided, um, or the wrong shape, then the rest of the building will be equally crooked, lopsided, or the wrong shape. Okay, Leaning Tower of Pisa is crooked. Um, I don't think it was at the time when it was built, but the foundation isn't. It hasn't done the job. It's not really that tall when you consider other buildings. Um, around the, around the world, but the, either the, the cornerstone, the foundation, something wasn't right, and the tower has leaned, uh, leaned, lent. It has moved to the side. <laughs> so, again, I ask the question, what are you building your life on? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, it'll ultimately be squint. Leaning Tower of Pisa, nice to look at, but I don't want to live on the top floor, you know? I don't th- even think they'll let tourists up anymore. Um, because for obvious reasons, you won't, if it's squint, if it's not built on Jesus, it won't be able to take the weight of the structure. It won't be able to take the weight of um, work or family or other commitments or whatever. And Peter goes on to explain that the result of building your, uh, building your life on Christ is this, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's brilliant. If you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. Now, if Jesus is the bedrock of your life, by which I mean if that which is the core of your being, that everything else um, revolves around. What's, that, what's it called where the, the earth goes around the sun? Orbit. Orbit's around. Yes, thank you. Was it you? Brilliant. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> Two points. Um, yeah, everything, if... Jesus is what everything else orbits around, then you'll have a steady orbit. Um, and everything else takes its cue from that. It will, you will not be put to shame, but rather you will receive honor. We've talked a lot about honor in this church. Um, and though you may face trials and tribulations, and let's face it, trials and tribulations are polite Christian ways to say, it's all hit the fan. Your life has fallen apart around you. We say, trials and tribulations. I've never been to trial. I've never you know, been on the, on the stand in the dock being arrested. Neither have I had a tribulation. I don't even know what a tribulation is. It, it's, it's, you know, it's in the Revelation. It'll, there will be a great tribulation, but I, I don't know what it, I haven't had a tribulation, so I don't know what will constitute a great tribulation. Trials and tribulations are polite Christian words to say when everything has fallen down around you, when the structure has fallen down around your ears, and you're standing there going, goodness, what a mess. If Christ is what your life is built upon, then you will not face shame in the presence of God. But, and it's not just, all right, so on you go, but rather you will receive honor for those who believe. I am, and again, this isn't anything that you or I have done to deserve. I don't deserve it. That's that's a wonderful, outrageous thing about the gospel. I am a child of God, and I didn't do anything to get it. It's like the greatest, you know, scratch card result ever. But I am a I'm without shame because Jesus was shamed for me. I am given honor because the God of the universe was dishonored in my place on the cross. And because we receive honor and have no shame, we can give honor and ascribe no shame. So that's not to say that everyone in Hope Church or at church will always be, you know, do everything 100% right. But don't ascribe, let's not ascribe shame. Let's say, well done for trying. Here's three things you might need to do on the next time you try it. Or maybe we can put our stone, living stones together and try it together. Um, so, yes, we receive honor and we have no shame. I don't need to be ashamed of the presence of God, which is mind-blowing when you think about the, con- the idea of God. Perfect moral standard and I have no shame. I like that. That's the gospel. Next slide, please. But for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock, and a fa- and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you reject him as your cornerstone, he doesn't go away. He's still present. He is God. He is om- omnipresent by his spirit. He, he's just not an, in underpinning your life. Think about the building site. We're doing a lot of construction today. Um, you've got wood and stone and cement and tools and you know half-drunk bottles of coke. And my dad's a builder, so I, these are my childhood memories. Um, and you've just got all this stuff lying around. But you've got this massively huge foundational stone. And you walk into the building and go, well, wow, it's a big stone. Maybe that house should be underneath that. And maybe that house should be on top of this stone here, as opposed to a massive trip hazard that health and safety are going to have a fit about. But if you don't put it there from the start, you can't stick it in afterwards. You have to. You can't just sort of glue God onto the side of your life and say, right, I have, uh, yes, I based my life on my career, but I also believe in God, so I'm fine. No, it, you have to take your cue from the cornerstone. You can't just glue, because the cornerstone's huge. That's part of the thing of being a cornerstone. It is the biggest rock. Um, uh, another translation is the rock uh, of the, that is the head of the corner. It, it's big, It's from which everything else takes its, uh, takes its cue. Um, and this is why Jesus is called a stone of stumbling and a rock of a fence. It's not that Jesus is lying in wait to trip you up like a school, ground, a school playground prank, you know, stick a broom in his tires, that'll get him, trip him up. No. <laughs> For many reasons, no. He's not... Well, Revelation 3 says, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He is the God of the universe. He invented the idea of keys. He invented the idea of picking the lock or just blowing the door away. So he doesn't have to stand there and knock. He could just remove the house. It's like, you know, the three little pigs. And now Jesus is the big bad wolf, but no. And it's difficult to trust a wolf. Have you ever noticed that? I don't trust a wolf. I don't trust a wolf as far as I could throw it, and I can't throw a wolf. <laughs> Jesus says in Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He doesn't barge into your life uninvited. He stands at the doors and knock. He perpetually offers himself as your friend, but like, any, like, any, like friendship with anyone, it has to be two-way. It can't be forced. If you force friendship with someone, that's not friendship, that's a hostage situation. <laughs> We will have a lovely meal together. Yes, we will, of course. Yes. And I say friendship because in that verse, it is friendship. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door to me, I will come in and eat with him. That's what we do with a friend. Jesus causes people to look at themselves and ultimately put put themselves and their needs and their wants and their desires second, at least. Um, And that is sometimes painful and offensive because Jesus was and continues to be offensive, because the cross is offensive. The cross says, behold this crucified, penniless Galilean peasant. That's God. Uh, it, no wonder the disciples didn't get it. Like he's, does, let's go to his house. He's homeless. He has nowhere to rest his head. Now, well, When he was crucified, they took his only possessions, which were his clothes. He, it was literally a situation where he had only the stuff he was standing up in. Um. But Christianity is an exclusive belief system. There are other I teach RE religious education. There are other religions where you can sort of pick and choose. Hinduism, for example, there are literally millions of gods, and you can within Hinduism worship Ganesh and Vishnu and Shiva and Jesus. But you can't do that in Christianity. Jesus Jesus is offensive because he demands to be put in his correct place, which is God, and that calls people to repentance. I, it's not, again, it's not bad to have a career or a family or an aspiration or a musical talent or whatever, but if this thing is first, it needs to go second, it needs to take its cue from Christ rather than to say, Jesus, you know, make this work, as in Jesus is the mechanic of your life, and you're sort of frantically pressing the clutch to try to make it, no, that's not how it works. It is essentially, uh, the cross essentially says that a person can be successful and wealthy, and handsome, and socially well-connected, and all these um, desirable attributes that you read about in Jane Austen. Um, And while none of those things are in and of themselves wrong, these things are insufficient to please God. And you need something deeper, something more, something more fundamental, something more base at the front line of existence. And you can't, like I said, you can't just glue God onto the side and say, right, well, we've got uh, this God and that God, and Jesus will have him as well. And when I say God, I mean God with a little g as in I have made my career to be God. And if it were to be taken away from me, I would have nothing left to live for. If you're a Christian, you can lose your career, but you will always have something left to live for because it is, your career is finite, Jesus is infinite, and we believe that God will provide for all our needs. And the rock is offensive uh, because it demands a total turnaround, not just a superficial moderation. We'll just tweak it a bit there. Uh, you know, no, it's, it's, Repentance is literally, I am going this way, and now I repent, and I go this way. I uh, was once on a train, and as I learned after the first stop, it was the wrong train. And I had been talking on my phone to Vodafone, trying to get them to give me some credit, and I realized that I was on the wrong train and made a loud exclamation and thought, I'm on the wrong train, got off at the next stop, got on the other side of the platform and went the other way. If I had just thought, I'm on the wrong train, that wouldn't have solved the problem. I would have still ended up in Mulgai as opposed to Dumbarton. No, it's a change of mind, a change of heart that results in a change of action. goes back to the first verse that we looked at. Put away that stuff. You've repented. Don't be um, hypocritical. There was a... um, a commander in the U.S. Navy called Jim Lovell, uh, rather, the U.S. Air Force. Um, And he would go on to fly the ill-fated Apollo 13 mission. Um, And he holds the record for being the uh, human who has traveled furthest from Earth, him and the other two members of the Apollo 13. But before he was an astronaut, he was one day flying his jet over, I think it was the South China Sea. It was over the ocean, certainly. And suddenly uh, he realized that he was running out of fuel. He has to find his aircraft carrier. And... He was considering ditching in the ocean which when you don't know where you are and if if your plane goes down the radio usually goes down with it um it's never a good thing to do and then as if he wasn't having a bad enough night all his electric uh, electrics failed so he doesn't have sonar doesn't have radar doesn't have lights he doesn't have anything and you may think goodness he was having a bad day why did he ever go up on apollo 13 but when his light failed he could then faintly see in the water, all this bioluminescence. Bioluminescence is creatures, usually uh, creatures like shrimp, um, and creatures that live in the deep sea. They give off their own light, because there's no light down the bottom of the sea. They have to give off their own light so they don't bump into stuff. And this natural light that's provided by the shrimp and other ocean life, and it had been churned up in the wake of a large ship. And he goes, that's my aircraft carrier. done that, presumably. And it was just lying out in front of him, like a road leading home. And if his lights hadn't failed, he never would have seen it because it's so faint. And the the lights of a a fighter jet are quite powerful. Um, But it was only when he was in the total blackness that he saw this ethereal path leading him home. And sometimes it's when everything you've built your life on collapses. Uh, Everything that you've come to rely on fails or flounders that you see really what has already been provided for you by using this analogy by Jesus on the cross those years ago. Next slide, please. But you, Hope Church, and friends listening on the internet, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who we are. This is a description of the state, the state of the Christian, the um, identity of the Christian, Think adjectives talking about the Christian. Um, you are a chosen race. You are chosen. It's personal. You, you were chosen. You go through the shopping. I'll have this make of bread. I have chosen that bread. That bread takes it personally. You are a chosen people. It's personal. Um, you are a chosen race. Racial divides are a non-category now. We're different from that. We don't make divisions based on, well, you were born in that country, and you were born in that country, and you were born in that country. Many races would have read this, read this letter, and many more when it was circulated around as part of the New Testament. Um, a royal priesthood, you are a child of the king. Jesus is king. You are a son of God. You're a child of the king. You're a priesthood. You have privileged access to the presence of God. There is no distinction between the clergy and the laity between the guy at the front end with the, the lovely suit and the big hat and the people sitting in the pews saying, oh, have mercy on me. There's no distinction there. It's a non-category. The priests in the Old Testament would represent the God to the people. This is done away with. Every Christian represents God to the people. Every Christian represents God to the people. You are holy, a holy nation. You are holy. You are declared holy. You're not made holy. You are declared holy uh, by Jesus' blood. And there's a difference. If you are made holy... I could say, who should I pick on? Phil. Of course. Phil, you from this point on, you are holy. And then you have to take it on your own steam and never do anything not holy. Sorry, mate. Um, and that, that, that's kind of nice. I'm, I'm made holy. I am holy. Oh, no, I'm no longer holy. I'll have to wait in the line again. Um, no, you are declared holy. You are said to be you are holy based on what Jesus has done. It's not about you. It's always about him. It's all and always and only about him, what he has done. You bring nothing to the table except your repentance. Um, but you are equally, so you are declared holy, but you're equally called to live a holy lifestyle, as mentioned in the beginning of the passage. Um, nation. You are a nation. You, are, you have an identity. Um, when countries, um, I think of uh, Czechoslovakia, now the Czech Republic and Slovakia, was one identity, and because of the Sarah knows more about this than I do. Now there are two countries. They have two distinct identities. It is an, a nation has an identity. Um, a people for His own possession. You belong to Jesus. You are chosen, and you belong to Jesus. You are His own possession. I like my possessions. I put them on a shelf. I display them with pride, um, especially the things that are holy and royal and chosen and represent God to people. These are good possessions. This isn't like, you know, the, the Dettol. These are good possessions. You, put, you, you display them with pride. Um, and no one can own you if you belong to him. You belong to him. You don't belong to anyone else. I mean, this is particularly, um, there are, I think there are it's 27 or 23, 27, let's go with, million people who are in slavery today, right now, more than at any other point in human history, and which is a massive social action um, need, and there are wonderful charities working to, to stop this, because it, it's, it's a disgrace. You cannot own another person, and particularly for the Christian, you cannot be owned by anyone, not your boss, not your parents, not your neighbors, not your society. Nobody owns you. Jesus owns you. You answer to him. And this is what we're called to do. Because we are a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The excellencies. I was watching The Simpsons the other day when Homer wins the first annual Montgomery Burns Prize for outstanding achievements in the field of excellence, which is just a made-up ceremony to get up to sign some disclaimers. But the excellencies of Jesus, this is what we do. We proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who called you out of darkness into light. God dwells in unapproachable light, tells, uh, I think First John tells us. And notice, darkness is a generally vague concept that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, of darkness into his marvelous night. Darkness is vague. Darkness is general. But the light belongs to Jesus. It is his marvelous night. Marvelous night? Marvelous light. We're nearly finished. Never stop telling the story. Never stop telling the, uh, of what Jesus has done for you, that you were once in darkness, but now you're in light. You once were not a people, now you are a people and how you have received mercy. And notice, um, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He's talking to Jewish people. The whole Jewish idea behind how you can be in, how you can be in favor with God is by virtue of your nationality. And here's Peter writing saying, once you were not a people, it, it's very offensive. It's quite mind-blowing. Once you were not a people, one, uh, now you're God's people. Once you have not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Again, the Old Testament uh, sacrifice system was based on, we do this so that we will receive mercy. And Peter's saying, no, now, you have received, now in Christ you have received mercy. Everything, that was a precursor. That was the small animated feature before the main Finding Nemo cinematography thing, cinema experience. It's... It's, it's remarkable that Peter will write. Peter, a Jew himself, would write this to other Jewish people. He's grasped some things. It's quite shocking. Final slide, please. We're coming into land. The captain has turned on his fashion. Fasten your seatbelt, signs. If you could please put your seatbacks in the full upright and locked position. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A sojourner and an exile is somebody who lived in one place, or rather lives in a place where they are not from. So I am a sojourner from Englandshire. Although I'm not an exile, I wasn't kicked out of England. I came here of my own, I'm not an exile from England. I am a sojourner from England. I live in a different country, and I love this country. But Peter is saying here that because you belong to Christ, who is heavenly, the fact that you live on earth means that you are a stranger in a strange land. We're not from this world. Paul says you are a new creation. You're something that hasn't been seen on the earth prior to Christ. You are a new creation. We are alien life. People are always looking for alien life forms. Come to church. There we go. They're all really weird, but they're kind of nice. Just like E.T., We are alien life. We are new creations. People will not always understand you. You ever been in that situation? You believe what? Right? Weirdo. Um, And yet, we must be honorable. And so, even, we must be honorable. Um, Notice that abstaining from the passions of the flesh, literally, fleshy lusts is the the literal translation. Um, Abstaining from the passions of the flesh is directly linked to keeping your conduct with the Gentiles honorable so that they may glorify God. It's an evangelistic thing. It's a witness thing. Our very lifestyle choices are a witness to what Christ has done for us. Um, the word flesh there, a bit of Greek thrown in, uh, means being under the control of your animal appetites as opposed to being led by the spirits of, the Spirit of God. That's uh, one way to render it. And different people will have different temptations in this, uh, in this area. It could be the passion of the flesh, it could be keeping one's talk uh, honorable, not speaking badly about other people. Or it could be not having sex with people you're not married to. Or it could be um, knowing how many pints is too many pints. Or knowing how, many cake, how much cake is too much cake, or whatever. Um, or choosing to forgive and not seek revenge. These are all counterintuitive things. Um, There are many other examples. And this isn't, again, this isn't in order to get into God's good books as if I could find favor with God for not eating too much cheesecake. It's it's counterintuitive. I will do these things and then God will be pleased. No, no, no. Do these things because God is pleased. But rather, in view of all that you've been given, do X or Y or Z, which will be different for each of us. Because to gratify the flesh wages war on the soul. This is strong language. War. War on the soul. It won't kill your soul immediately, but after a war, when there's a war going on, nothing can grow, or it's difficult for things to grow. But here we go. If one person can see something gloriously different about you because of your lifestyle choices, because they have seen you and think they're different, why? Has anyone ever, this happened to me a couple of times, people just Look at you, and you're like, what are you looking at? Nothing? <laughs> He's trying to figure you out, basically. Um, if one person sees the, these decisions that you've made and causes them to glorify God on the day of visitation when he judges the living and the dead, what, what a marvelous thing to be a part of. Yes. What a marvelous thing to be a part of. And this is what we're aiming at. So, two questions for you What are you building your life on? Are there any unhelpful stones in your building, in your temple? Question two, what are you doing or not doing that could cause somebody to stumble over anything other than the cornerstone? Uh, I did a, a placement in Barhead High School uh, in East, Ren, uh, East Renfrewshire, and the guy who I was working with there, he said, let the only c- stumbling stone be the cross. Remove everything else out the way so that they won't trip over your use of language, or they won't trip over your um, this particular character trait, or they won't trip over whatever. Let the cross be the only stumbling stone. So what are you doing or not doing that could cause somebody to stumble over something other than Jesus? I'm going to say two dangerous words now. Any questions? Seriously. Okay, if you have questions, come to see me. I will be down there eating grapes. Um, Let's pray, and then I'll hand back over to Andy. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a trustworthy foundation, that we can build our lives on you and not fear when the storms come. Thank you, Lord, that you declare us to be holy, that you are building us individually and collectively up into something beautiful. And Lord, I pray that in, in the process of walking with you, that many would come to know and inquire about and love Jesus as Lord because of who we are and what we do. Thank you, Lord, for all your goodness to us. Amen.